Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. Dover continues to grow, and we're going to continue to grow and evolve as a community. Part of that is going to be looking at infrastructure projects. Today, we're going to meet with John Storr, Director of Community Services, and talk about paving, talk about some building projects, and talk about what the city's doing to prep for its 400th anniversary. John, how are you today? Uh, Good, Chris. Good to be with you. Thanks for coming in. So you're our Community Services Director. How long have you been with the city? Uh, Just about five years now. Five years. So you've actually seen a lot in that five years. I mean, it's not... uh, Actually, it just feels like two days ago that you started. No offense. No, but some, uh, Sometimes I do feel like the new guy, but in five years, it's really been a transformation, seeing a lot of change with Dover. Just, you know, for instance, the Orpheum building, yeah. having that come in, just some really exciting projects hitting the city. Well, part of that project was realigning a, an intersection so that we got uh, improvement at the Washington Chestnut Street intersection. One of the things I'm hoping that we can talk to listeners about today is paving projects and other road projects that you might have on the horizon that they should know about. Yeah, uh, paving's been a big question. And right now, uh, in the middle of June, you've seen a lot of activity related to a couple of water main projects. People were familiar with uh, road construction last year, had to rip up portions of Washington and Main Street, and then on Central Ave North up by Wentworth Douglas. And And admittedly, the condition of those roads have been pretty rough. But that was reflective of replacing an 1880s vintage water line. Uh, right now, we're seeing the contractor that did the water line work is milling out all the pavement. They're removing an inch, inch and a half, and we're going to put down all new surface and new structures, get it restriped. So people are going to see new paving on those projects very soon. And again, that's been a real hot topic. And concurrently, the city is going out with its annual pavement maintenance program. Uh, the city council has approved just about $2 million. I don't have a detailed list of streets to share here, but I would put a plug in. Our engineering staff have done a wonderful job updating our website and putting information on. You can find out if your road is slated to go this year or not, uh, but you're going to see that happen in the near future. And just to note about paving, we're also going through we're, this summer, it's been five or seven years since we did an overall street assessment where every street gets a numerical rating of zero to 100, 100 being best, zero being the worst. Um, so we're going to have that data at the end of the summer. So we'll be reshuffling the proverbial deck next year. But I think when you see the Washington and Maine project get paved, Central Ave North, and we complete our $2 million annual paving program, um, people are really going to see an improvement throughout the city. You know, one of the things that must be frustrating for you is people always want their road paved, but no one wants to deal with the construction and uh, New England is not known for the longest construction period uh, in the year. Is that is that pretty common, or is that just my perception of what you hear? No, that, that's, a, that's a very good perception. We do have a tight construction window, and it used Central Ave North as an example. Um, to replace, people don't realize how critical it was to replace that water line. We're talking an 1880s vintage. If that line failed, we would have Wentworth Douglas without water. And given the current situation, the pandemic, that would be untenable. Um, So that was a very critical project. And as such, to wrap that up, we pushed the work into December. We couldn't do a permanent pavement repair. And one of the things, when you do trench work, you want it to go through a winter season to see if there's going to be any settlement. That's where if any settlement has occurred, they're going to mill it out. Again, remove the top inch, inch and a half, so they can put a good leveling course in. So that really gives us the best project in the long run. Uh, Hopefully, we don't have to touch Central Ave for another 20 or 30 years. 
years. And then in a few years, it'll just be a memory of all the traffic disruptions we had. Uh, but the public, whether they appreciate it or not, should know that we've got a good, reliable public water system main in there now that will improve fire capacity, reliability, and we should be in good shape with that. Well, that's great. One of the things that I think we talk some about at the Capital Improvements <coughs> Program uh, level, but maybe not to the degree that the public at large might be interested, is the the PCI or the Pavement Condition Index. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago that you're looking at having that reevaluated for all of our our pavement segments. What is involved with that PCI? What's the uh, what's a good way for the the layman to understand it? Yeah, that's a, it's a very good question. It's hard to explain in detail, but there is a, uh, there's a national process. There's the American Society of Testing Materials. So there, there's a standardized test that an engineer or a specialized van can look at any road and do an overall assessment to give a fair, accurate numerical assessment of zero to 100. Uh, what we are doing here, we have a van equipped with uh, infrared sensors and audio sensors. We're also going to be scanning for street signs, but they're literally going to drive every single road in Dover, and they rate the condition on zero to 100 on sort of a drivability. How bumpy is it? A visual assessment, is the pavement cracking? Is it delaminating? And then we'll get an overall assessment to see where we are, and then they'll give us uh, phased recommendations that will have to match appropriations. So one of the things as a public works director, we don't want to see the roads deteriorate over time. So we're going to use this report to determine what a reasonable level of funding is to either maintain the roads at its current condition, or if we want to try to improve them numerically, how much more we have to invest. So it also helps with the budgeting process. And it, it, just important to stress, some people may say, my road's in terrible condition. Why hasn't it been paved? We also have to consider when we're planning long-term projects, what's the state of the buried infrastructure b- beneath the road? Because somebody may have a road that's in rough shape, but they may also have a sewer line or a storm drain or a water main that needs replacement. And we can't tackle every need at once. We try to phase them through in a logical process. So you have to mix all these needs together, the road condition, the buried infrastructure, and the funding. And we try to have a phased uh, a phased five-year look forward in the CIP for how projects are going to hit moving forward. And I think in coupling with that, one of the things that people don't tend to th- realize is that the pavement budget is for all public roads. So we have to be careful that it's not just local roads that get redone. And in fact, I think you and I have had this conversation before and uh, residents are always surprised to hear that if they have a a local road, particularly a dead end road, a cul-de-sac, they're probably looking at once every 40 years that that road is going to be paved because it's not getting the use that a Central Avenue, a Court Street, a uh, Silver Street is getting. And one of the things, I think you did a presentation to the the council a few years ago, and I know your predecessor, Doug Steele, had done one, sort of looking at that PCI number and saying that we want to keep it in the middle. You don't want a road that's at a 23. You want to put the money towards a 70 to make it from continuing to drop off because once it's down let's just say 50 or below, it's a reconstruction project versus a rehab project. No, that's a very good point. It's hard to explain to people that sometimes our annual pavement money is appropriated to help maintain and keep our good roads good, if you will. Like For an example, uh, we do plan to overlay Silver Street. Silver Street is not one of the roughest roads, but is a you know fairly 
heavily traveled arterial road, we want to make sure it remains in good shape. And you make a point, some of the dead end roads that have very low traffic counts, the PCI number, that zero to 100 may degrade over time. Uh, but we get to a point where some of the older roads, we do let them go a ways because we have to phase in when we're going to do water and sewer work. But also becomes the road conditions need a complete reconstruction as opposed to enhancing, maintaining a good road, um, an older road that's in rough shape, we may have to go in and we use the term box cut. I mean, we pull out the pavement, we pull out the underlying material. The poor road conditions really result from underlying base material. An example of a CIP project is Sunset Drive. That road in the wintertime has an immense number of frost eaves. That's not a candidate for doing an overlay. That is going to hit the CIP budget to do a reconstruction where we can pull out the underlying clay and get a structural base of gravel in there, then we'll put good pavement down. Switching gears a little, we are coming up on our 400th anniversary as a community uh, with European settlement. I know the city is thinking about ways to celebrate and document that. What are some of the infrastructure projects that we're looking to have done for that? That's a great question. We're excited about the 400th anniversary coming up. I'm afraid I'm going to miss a few, but starting off, I think one of the feature projects that people should see later this summer is the uh, the restoration of the City Hall Dome. We're going to be looking to upgrade the clock mechanism, reface the clock, redo the dome, get it painted. Oh, well, no, we're going to paint the tower, but get the dome regilded. We're going to be copper features. I envision uh, being up on Garrison Hill and looking at City Hall, you know, sort of a sunset. It's going to glisten and really stand out in the skyline. Um, I think people are really going to see a uh, big difference with that. In terms for infrastructure, we are planning to pave, as I mentioned earlier. As part of the water main project, we're going to be paving Washington and Main Street, but we're also going to hit Central Lab from like where Dunkin' Donuts is up by 4th Street at the railroad tracks. We're going to come down and go towards Silver Street. So the downtown will get all repaved. Uh, we'll get that restriped. And then with the crosswalks, we're excited to work with the Dover 400th Committee. Um, we've solicited bids to have specialized crosswalks with either the 400th logo or stenciling in the 400th so people will really see it'll really stand out. Um, it'll still be safe for the crosswalks. We'll have the delineating bars, but people will notice that as sort of a, a custom piece. And then for the streetscaping, uh, we've got money uh, through the planning department. There's money to improve downtown pedestrian access. Uh, so our engineering staff has walked uh, all through the downtown and have identified maybe $400,000, $500,000 worth of sidewalk improvements. We're going to try to redo all the brick sidewalks around City Hall, uh, make sure that everything is safe for pedestrians, but really try to freshen up the appearance. And we're also going to be looking to add some street trees. Uh, we planted 10 or 15 trees last fall. We're going to try to get 10 or 15 more in this summer. And again, maybe 10 or 15 more this fall just to fill the old empty tree boxes. And then if all goes well, right in the heart of the downtown, uh, we've got the small pocket park right next to the falls. We're hoping to get that landscaped and uh, all set up by the time Apple Harvest Fest sets in. So I think you're going to see a, a lot of uh, little improvements scattered about that are really, hate to use the term pop, but I think when we redo City Hall, that's really going to stand out and uh, really make a very visual appearance for people coming into town. You know, it's great to think of these improvements. And I think it's also important to note that the goal is to get as many of them done before, say, March of next year. We want things to be popping, to your point, uh, for the 400th, but we don't want to interrupt and create obstructions for people celebrating and coming downtown, particularly during the 400th. That it's been a goal we've had for a couple of years now. 
Yeah. You know, I think uh, under your guidance, we have been trying to look forward and make sure that we don't have conflicts during the 400th. But uh, from a public works perspective, you joke, we have a 400-year-old city. It feels like we have some infrastructure that's old. So there's always an infrastructure need. But I mentioned what we're trying to do through the downtown with the paving and the in the sidewalk work and the crosswalks. We're hoping to um, not have any impacts during the 400th in the general downtown, but we do have a backlog of CIP projects that are popping up. Uh, one of the biggest ones I think the city ought to embrace during its 400th is the redevelopment of the waterfront. So while we're going to stay out of the general downtown, I do expect we'll see some activity along Henry Law and River Street to really support what is going to be a, a huge asset for the city redeveloping the waterfront. Um, so you are going to see um, some projects on the periphery, uh, but we're going to try to not impact any any of the downtown for some of the festivities that will be planned. So that must be a logistics nightmare for you, you know, thinking ahead to when you want to have projects completed, but then also coordinating to make sure it's as least disruptive as possible to the businesses and the, the downtown community, maybe less so outside of the downtown. Uh, not that there aren't businesses or people that are interrupted, but the density downtown, commercial and residential, must really have to play into how you plan out your projects. It is a challenge, and uh, there's constant discussion. We try to reach out during the design of a project. We try to have a neighborhood or informational meetings to solicit, solicit feedback, whether it's residents and apartments, it's business owners, shop owners. We do try to hear out their concerns, and sometimes they're competing concerns, like, for instance, uh, doing some of the paving work. We've chose to do paving work at night with the milling. Um, we figure that's not going to disrupt some of the daytime businesses, but then we have the restaurants and the taverns and the bars that rely on the nighttime traffic. So there's always going to be some type of impact, but staff do try to listen uh, to feedback through public meetings. And we do try to schedule and coordinate to minimize the downtime. If somebody had a, a special event going on, we try to accommodate that, whether it's a sidewalk sale or something, so that we're not going to be disrupting a key event for a business or an establishment. I think a lot goes into laying these things out that people don't realize. People just think you hire a contractor, they come in, they do the work, they go home. But there really is a lot of coordination between your staff, the police staff for traffic control. I know the business development staff with reaching out to to folks and certainly in media services and having to get those that word out. So it, it really, I think, goes to show how much we think about these projects that, that people on the other side don't think we think about them because they don't have to think about all the nuts and bolts that you and your your uh, team have to work through. Yeah, you mentioned traffic control and that alone, I just know with the projects that we've had, there have been some some traffic delays, probably caused aggravation for, for uh, travelers. But you mentioned trying to take care of all this infrastructure, it does have a disruption. But just to, to plan a traffic control plan to make sure we can accommodate through traffic of the, the largest trucks that may be passing through town or fire apparatus or emergency vehicles and where signs go and how you phase. Uh, you may be working on one side of the road one week and you have to transition over to another, how to safely get that all transitioned over. It can take weeks, if not months, to plan out a legitimate traffic control plan that we get feedback from emergency services and travelers through the area. We touch base with Coast and others. So it can be a very lengthy process. It certainly isn't a, a knee-jerk type of reaction to set these up. Well, I really appreciate you coming in today. And, and I think we'll have a 
quite a few conversations as this podcast continues. I think that your area is one of those that people can really relate to in the sense that you know when the plow truck comes by that someone's doing that job or uh, the paving truck or, or what have you. One of the things that I want to talk about in the future is sort of utility work, which, as you know, that's where I started out in community services in the utilities area. And, and it's always fascinated me. Uh, but one of the things I'm curious as we wrap up today, what's your long-term vision? What do you think is the most important thing that community services should be focusing on here in Dover? Oh, that's a great question. I just, uh, as public works director, I think I've got the best job in the city that we are stewards of all the infrastructure. We have to make sure we're investing wisely in the infrastructure that is safe and reliable. As we continue to grow, I know there's been a lot of concern about supply of water. Um, we're building a state-of-the-art water treatment plant. I feel comfortable um, that we're going to be able to meet demands into the future. But I do worry about protecting our water supplies. And then also on the tail end, as we treat our wastewater, there's emerging regulations about the quantity of the effluent we discharge back to the environment. Um, so we've got to stay in tune with that. And just across the board, you know, having master plans that we're meeting the needs of the community as things shift. We're getting more into uh, multimodal transportation and accommodating all forms of transportation. Where we have older streets, sometimes that can be a challenge with right-of-way limits, but uh, the city is changing and we're hoping to keep pace. We've got a lot of infrastructure challenges ahead of us. It's funny. I remember having a conversation with Pete Lavoie, who is now two directors behind you. When he retired, I'm going to guess 2004, maybe three, he and I joked that he was probably the last guy that would start out as a truck driver and make his way up through to being the, the director, not because of limitations, but because of the complexity that it's no longer just uh, a guy with a shovel or a truck doing some work, whatever it is. But as you point out, there's so much complexity and depth to what you have to deal with on a daily basis. I really appreciate all that you bring to the table, and I'm, I'm glad that you're here on the team. Well, thank you very much. Good to be with you, Chris. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. On June 23, 1825, Dover received with open arms the nation's guest, the Marquis de Lafayette of France, the last surviving major general of America's Revolutionary War. Lafayette was nearing the end of a sweeping tour across 24 American states when he visited Dover, where he was welcomed as a hero and with great pomp and circumstance. To many Americans, Lafayette was one of the true heroes of the nation's Revolutionary War. Having served at George Washington's side during the brutal winter of 1777 at Valley Forge and on through the battle at Yorktown in 1781, Lafayette was led into Dover as part of a large procession. Along the way, he received a 13-gun salute by the Stratford Guards stationed on Pine Hill. Homes and buildings along the way were decorated in anticipation of the visit. At the home of John Williams, now known as the Woodman Museum's Hale House, he was joined by some of Dover's dignitaries, including Williams, who was then a state representative. There, he was also greeted by five young girls, in white dresses with blue sashes, who sang a well-known song at the time, Welcome Lafayette. From there, the procession moved through Tuttle Square, over the new bridge built by the Dover Manufacturing Company, now known as the Central Avenue Bridge. They circled around Franklin Square, down Main Street, taking in a view of the Dover Landing, and then back down Washington Street. They eventually arrived at the Dover Hotel, where the Honorable William Hale greeted the general and introduced him to the crowd. Lafayette then attended a ceremonial dinner at Town Hall, and later, a party at the home of William Hale. 
Hale's home, which is still standing on Hale Street next to City Hall, was originally located where the current City Hall now stands. Lafayette stayed in Hale's large guest room on the second floor of the home. Among the many songs and toasts made to the general that evening, Lafayette himself would toast Dover, saying, To the town of Dover, may this cradle of New Hampshire forever enjoy every sort of agricultural and manufacturing prosperity, the happy result of American independence and Republican freedom. Later that evening, he was invited to breakfast the next morning in South Berwick, which he accepted. Later that year, in September, Lafayette's grand tour of the Republic concluded, and he departed for France aboard the USS Brandywine. In March of this year, the City Council approved a request by the Lafayette Trail to install a plaque in Dover next to City Hall commemorating Lafayette's visit to Dover. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Download's email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week.